Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Verse number one, going to read here about 11 verses of scripture, and we'll touch on them as we go along here. I, 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 uh, I forecast, I say forecast, but I'm guessing we can probably get through Philippians in the next four to five lessons, and we'll be done with the book of Philippians. Just about in time for us to transition out of connect groups on Wednesdays back to Wednesday night Bible studies. Just about in time. Amen for that. Amen. Next month will be the last month of connect groups uh, for that season of time. Again, we need both connect groups and we need Bible study. If you had connect groups all the time, it'd become owed to you and it'd just be like anything else that comes from the church. After a while, you just get owed with it. And so, uh, nonetheless, we need both. It is absolutely important. Amen. Philippians chapter number three, verse one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. That might seem peculiar, but beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. He says, circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul speaking of himself, an Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, he says, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though, I'll stop right there, I said 11. You get going and you just want to go. Amen. Let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you today about, and they have it up here, I think maybe a title or something for us this morning, no loss, no gain. And again, no loss, no gain. No loss, no gain, and no loss, no gain. You get it? You got it? Good. Let's pray. Father, God, we come to you this morning. God, we need you, Lord Jesus, in this place today. We pray, oh Lord, continue to move, God, upon those of this congregation in need this morning that may be watching, God, from their households today. I pray, Lord, you would strengthen them, heal them. God, I pray, Lord, let the word of God, Lord, find a place, Jesus, of security in our lives. God, make us better by it. God, for we were begotten by the word, Jesus, the Bible says, and we hold that dear to our hearts. 
In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in verse number one, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Many preachers over time have kind of used that a little bit to be funny with the Apostle Paul because he said finally and then he spoke for several more verses and uh, chapters after he said finally. Uh, But in reality, finally here is not the way that we think of finally. The Apostle Paul is not concluding anything. But in reality, the definition of the word that's translated finally here actually means he's saying something in addition to what he has already said. And so he's going to tell them a little bit more. And uh, so we can't really use that for preachers when they say in closing and they don't close. And they can, maybe the next time a preacher says in closing, you need to view it like finally as spoken here. He's going to say something in addition. He's got something else to say. And so we see really the reality of this whenever the Apostle Paul touches on that phrase that is prominent as we've seen thus far in the book of Philippians when he told them to rejoice in the Lord because the Apostle Paul is going to elaborate on this a little bit more in this chapter. He will teach us that to rejoice in the Lord really means this, and I believe this is the, the crux of Paul's statement throughout Philippians of rejoicing in the Lord. It really means this, let the Lord be the one who makes you happy or joyful. Let the Lord be the one that makes. In other words, if you're going to derive joy from something, if you're going to derive happiness from something, then let that something be the Lord. Let that something be the Lord. Derive your joy from him rather than other things. Uh, Rather than trying to to do the exchangement of getting your joy from from things or material goods or, or places or particularly people for that matter. He says, derive your joy from the Lord. And so he's used this statement before and he uses it again and he tells us very plainly here in the first verse and as a preacher, I like this. He says, I write the same thing to you. So I've talked to you about this before, but I'm talking to you about it again. And I'm being repetitious about it. He says, and it's not grievous for me. It's no burden to me to be repetitious about this. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, I'm repeating this because it is safe for you. He said, it's safeguarding for you. I mean, how many times over the course of your life of perhaps being in church have you heard myself or Bishop or somebody else say the same phrase or teach along the same passage of a scripture or along the, the, the same lines as you had heard us teach or preach or say otherwise. There are phrases that my father has said throughout his ministry that I probably have written down somewhere or even back in the course of my mind that are typical sayings of his that will be embedded in the very fibers of my mind. Amen. And whenever he dies someday, they're still going to be there because he said them over and over and over. And I know likewise, me and every other pastor across the planet, they have certain phrases that they say over and over again. And there's certain themes and certain subjects in the church that we touch on over and over again. I mean, it's not like you preach the subject matter of faith and you never talk about it again. 
It's not like you talk about repentance and say, well, that was good. They heard it and don't have to ever. No. You do. You talk where almost every year you're going to hear me talk about repentance. Almost every year you're going to hear me talk about baptism. Almost every year you're going to hear me talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost over and over again. And the reality, what Paul had with the church at, at, at Philippi is what every leader or pastor has with their church and even all the way back in the Old Testament. And that is God even required of Moses. He said, Moses, he says, I'm about ready to tell you something and I want you to write this down in a book and he says when you write this down I want that to be there for a purpose because I want you to rehearse that into the ears of the children of Israel and I want them to remember some things because what he he wanted was this he says if we don't keep it ever before them they may forget or they may feel like it doesn't matter anymore You see this with your own kids. How many times do you got to tell them the same thing? That they should already, because we have that one and done. You say it once. I said this before. Haven't I told you before? Yes. But it seems like if we don't repeat it, that it don't have the same weight as if we kept repeating it. And so as pastors, as Moses, as Paul here, he says, it's not grievous for me to come to you and to tell you again something I told you before. As a matter of fact, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Jeremiah, we read on several occasions through Jeremiah that Jeremiah says, and the Lord came unto me the second time saying, <laughs> the Lord came to me the second time saying, well, why so Jeremiah? And why did you then convey that to the people again? Evidently, it was something that needed to be repeated. Evidently, it was something that needed to be emphasized and made clear for the people of God. In the New Testament, this is not just regulated to the Old Testament as we see here in Philippians, but in the New Testament, amen, we have instances in Scripture where Jesus himself had spoken to people and said, I told you before, and then tell them exactly what he had told them before. And he would reiterate it. Paul even said to the church at Corinth and Thessalonica, similar things. I've told you before, but you got to hear me again. And so we're going to be repetitive. And we're going to say some of the same phrases. And we're going to speak some of the same subjects. And we're going to speak the same about the same subjects. And all that means is there is a consistency in doctrine. There is a faith. As a matter of fact, I hope that what... I say concerning repentance lines up with what Bishop said in the prior generation and whoever follows me, Brother Mason, I hope their voice sounds very familiar and similar to what I said because there needs to be a standard of consistency in the church as it is in the Bible for every generation and we just can't say it once. I gotta tell every generation that they need to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. I need to tell every generation that there is no remission in the water unless you use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not grievous for me to tell you that. It's safe. It's safe for you. Amen. It's safe safe for you. Again, because if I quit talking about it, well, maybe that, maybe pastor don't talk about that anymore because it's not really as important as he said it was. Amen. Paul, he's about ready to talk to them about some even people. Well, maybe, maybe he doesn't talk about that anymore because they're not the threat that they used to be. 
You understand what I'm saying? And so we're going to we're going to repeat some things. Amen. And here's the hope really of Moses, the hope of Paul, the hope of other things. You know, perhaps if I preach on godliness more, maybe more people will practice godliness. You know, if I if I teach on the essentiality of baptism more, maybe they'll be more equipped to defend the essentiality of baptism. Huh? If I repeat ideas Maybe they'll become like fences in our lives, around our spiritual lives, and they will safeguard us. Because guess what? We tend to forget. The Apostle Paul turns the corner here. There was a group of people known as the Judaizers. They taught that a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. In other words, for a Gentile to become a Christian, it was more than just the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was more than all that. They had to become a Jew, which meant they had to be circumcised. They weren't circumcised and they weren't a Christian. And that's the teaching that started going around. This is some of the same things that the Apostle Paul had addressed in other letters. These are some of the things that were addressed in the book of Acts, Romans, Galatians, Colossians. Almost every New Testament letter that is written in your New Testament, amen, addressed some of these things. But Paul tells even the Romans that a true Jew is not one who keeps the ordinance of a literal circumcision of the flesh, but it's one that has received a circumcision without hands. This is the Bible verse of Romans 2 and verse 21. He says, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Furthermore, in the book of Colossians, Paul tells the church at Colossae that the new and better covenant of circumcision consisted of being baptized or buried with Jesus in baptism. He said Abraham and those of old, the sign of their covenant relationship with the Lord was their circumcision. That's the reason why whenever Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river, amen, and she came upon Moses in his basket of bulrushes that was in the Nile River and she seen the child. She said, behold, this is a Hebrew child. She knew he was Hebrew because of his circumcision. Amen. She knew he was Hebrew because of circumcision. The apostle Paul says that was that circumcision and sign of circumcision for the Jews in the Old Testament. That was good and fine for that dispensation, for that testament in that time. He says, but we have something better now. It's a circumcision that takes place without hands. That was a circumcision in the literal flesh. He said, but there's a circumcision that takes place by baptism in Jesus' name that really takes care of the fleshly matters of our life. So the Bible tells us then, for repentance and baptism in Jesus' name grants us remission or removal of sins. It did just what the Jews thought what they were accomplishing by their literal circumcision in the flesh on the eighth day. Look what Paul told the church at Colossae in chapter number two and verse 11. He says, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's about ready to tell us what that circumcision in the New Testament is in verse 12. Notice, by the circumcision of Christ, colon, buried with him. He's explaining what that is then. Buried 
joined with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who have raised him from the dead. And so in our lesson this morning, in the book of Philippians, Paul, he stated these different things to different churches. He's not left the Philippian church. He's repeating something he said to somebody else. And he's repeating something to the Philippians. He said, you beware of those dogs. He's being a little condescending here about these people that said, unless you're literally circumcised, you can't have no place with God. He said, beware of these dogs. Beware of these evil workers. Beware of these certain ones who's trying to persuade you that a certain deed or a certain act or a certain work that you will do can make you a Christian. He says, we, we, you got to steer clear that just pure works by itself is going to grant you salvation. You can't earn salvation. He said, beware. He said in verse 3, beware of the concision. Now, I want to, let's just walk with me here for a moment. He says, beware of the concision. And then in verse number 3, he says, for we are the circumcision. He's talking about if we worship God in spirit, we are the circumcision. We've had the circumcision without hands. But he says, beware of the concision. In some, in some versions of the Bible, that's translated, beware of the mutilation. All right? Because, when he's speaking of this, and he says that we are the circumcision, speaking of himself, he's speaking that they worship God in spirit and in not the law. He wants to make that plain. Because we read in our Bibles, I can give you scripture references. The law cannot purify a sinner's heart, Galatians 2.21. The law cannot impart the gift of the Holy Ghost to anyone, Galatians 3.2. The law cannot give eternal life, again, Galatians 3.21. But right here when he's talking about this concision and circumcision, there's a little wordplay going on in the Greek language. The word concision or mutilation and circumcision, here's what it is. Both Greek words have an adjective in them that means to cut or sharp but the other the other letters prefixes you might say that's attached to us one describes concerning the mutilation the direction of the cut it is a down or off type of cut implying that the person is not just circumcised but they are castrated i know this is a, a little maybe you know it's there okay castrated but Paul, when he talks about circumcision, he's talking about the direction of the cut being around. In other words, he's saying there's some that are telling you that their deeds, that if they would even go to the degree of total mutilation, go to the degree of total castration, that that would even be more honorable in the sight of God than just a typical fleshly circumcision. But he says, I'm telling you, beware. He says, if you go beyond just a cutting of a flesh to the cutting off, he says, you're not going to stand any better in the sight of God than anybody else. You can do all of that and still be far from God if you don't have faith in God and allow the spirit of God and not the law of God, amen, to come into your life. He said in Galatians 5 and 3, Paul says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. This is the teaching of the New Testament scripture he says if you believe that you got to be circumcised in order to be a christian he says if you say you got to keep a portion of the law he says the bible tells us that you got to keep all of the law if you're going to keep any part of it you're going to have to keep all of it and if you don't then you're guilty 
of every single bit of the law. Amen. Someone say amen. Because whenever you say you're going to have a literal ceremonial circumcision, you bound yourself by obligation to the whole ceremonial system of the law. And if you obligate yourself to keep the whole law, the Bible says if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. That's you. He says, but this circumcision in the New Testament, this is how we approach that. We understand there's not one human being upon this earth that could keep one or all parts of the law. He said, but God sent forth his son made in the image and the likeness of humanity who knew no sin, yet was tempted in all points like you and I are, yet was without sin, but he took the law in his flesh and kept it perfectly. And by faith, I say I couldn't do it, but the one that was substituted for me could. And by virtue of my faith in his work, that work trickles down upon my life. Oh, someone say amen. See, we get our joy, folks. Paul's trying to tell them, listen, get your joy from the Lord. If you're going to derive joy from something, if you're going to derive, if you will, some type of feeling as though you, you've made it and you've arrived, it's not because of what you've done. It's not because of some work that you've done. It's because of the Lord. We are circumcised without hands by the Spirit of God. I can't keep the law, but he did. He says, we have no confidence. In the flesh. That's what he said in verse 3. We have no confidence in the flesh. The complete Jewish Bible says it like this. We do not put confidence in human qualifications. Why? Because we have letting scripture interpret scripture. In 1 Corinthians 1.29, the Bible says no flesh shall glory in his presence. In Romans 7 verse 18, says Paul said, in me that is my flesh. There is no good thing. Even, yes, ma'am, amen. Even David in the Psalms, he is kind of in awe that God would even consider him. And he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? We don't put no confidence in the flesh. We're, we're, we're not stacking up qualifications in the human standard, if you will, in order to be pleasing in the eyes of God. We'll look at it here in a bit because Paul had quite a list of qualifications he had of his own. But in reality, concerning the standards of heaven, your job doesn't matter. Your house doesn't matter. Your car doesn't matter. Your clout in the community doesn't matter. All of that's not going to serve you any advantage. Amen. In the realm of heaven, what matters if you're known by him and you know him? What? Oh, yes. Someone say Amen. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Look what Paul says to the church at Rome. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. And it couldn't be, the righteousness of the law couldn't be fulfilled in anybody if it were not for the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. He said, because of that, the righteousness of the law, it's fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 3.20 says, by the works of the law, no flesh shall, will be justified in his. No flesh will. 
not by the works of the law. We see this even in New Testament scripture. There's a parable, a story that is relayed in Matthew 19. A man came to Jesus and he's asking the Lord, he says, what must I do? Important. What must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And the Lord's like, well, you know the commands. Oh, yes, I know the commands. He said, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, all of those have I kept from my youth. But he soon found out that keeping even all the commands alone could not grant him eternal life. Because he was saying, what can I do to get that? He says, you got it backwards. It's what will you do Christ what will Christ do that I'll have faith and confidence in what will Christ do that I'll be obedient to that will grant me eternal life to the church at Sardis even the book of Revelations chapter number 3 where uh, John is writing to the seven churches of Asia one of the churches he wrote to was Sardis he told them he said I know your deeds I know what you've been doing. I know your deeds. And this is in the NIV. And he says, and you got a reputation as a result of it. You got a reputation of being alive. He said, but I tell you, you're dead. What? He said, all your works and all your deeds give you a reputation you're alive. But the reality of the fact is you're dead. Why? Because you've forgotten me. But I've done this. Does not the Bible say there will be many in that day that will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do this? Oh, all of these deeds. It's not about the deeds that we do. It's about the deed that he did and we're obedient to follow through repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Being submissive to that work, allowing that work to be played out in our lives. Galatians 6 and 12. As many as desire, look at this. Woo, as many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh. Let me put it in layman's terms. As many as want to show off in their flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised only, and we're speaking of about the literal circumcision here, only lest they should suffer pure persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. <laughs> he said, but desire to have you. So they're circumcised. They tend you need to get circumcised, but they don't keep the law, but they want you to get circumcised. That they may glory in what? Your flesh. Well, look at him. He's been, praise God. He's got the great Great, great sign of the Old Testament of Abraham upon his life. Look at verse 14. But God forbid, Paul says, that I should glory. What? Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And listen, folks, listen to me clearly. The apostle Paul was no sham. The apostle Paul was not no delinquent among the community. The Apostle Paul, if he wanted to, had reason to have confidence in his flesh if he wanted to. He had the pedigree. He had the credentials if he wanted to. If somebody wanted to start to argue their confidence in their flesh, Paul could go toe-to-toe -to -toe and argue his own. 
Confidence in his flesh. Look at it. Starting in verse number five. He was circumcised the eighth day. You know what that means? That means he was born a Jew. Because the, the word for the Jews is on the eighth day they circumcised their children. There's probably others that were Jews, but they were circumcised later in life because they became a Jew. Maybe not born into it, but adopted it. But Paul, he's born into it. He's of the stock of Israel. Many of them couldn't even, uh, you look even a little later, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Because of all the captivities and the exiles, there were many Jews that could not still trace their heritage and pedigree all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It got mixed and muddled and they lost the facing. But you know what Paul says? I can still trace my heritage. I can still trace my heritage all the way back. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, when it comes to the law, I'm a Pharisee. That was the most strictest sect of people concerning the law, keeping the, the, the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T, so to speak. He says, so if you want to talk about confidence, he said, I'm a keeper of the law. You want to talk about zeal? He said, you knew me a few years ago. I'm going to Damascus, going to people's houses. And if anybody was teaching something that shouldn't have been taught, I'm taking them to prison and some of them are losing their life. You want to talk about zeal let's talk about zeal he said you want to talk about righteousness he said nobody can lay a finger on my life I was blameless whenever it came to righteousness so if you want to talk about confidence let's talk about confidence he says but I will tell you this all the ways that I could amen impress you and all the ways I could talk about the confidence of my credentials and my degree and want to show good and show off in the flesh all of my worldly achievements and my accomplishments I'll tell you right now none of that has any saving value None of that has any saving value. The old ghost, and don't get me wrong, there's value in that in human standards. Who your mom and dad is, there's value in society with that. Your credentials and your accomplishments, that has value in society. But Paul's saying, none of that holds any value when it comes to saving value. There is no profit of any of those things towards salvation. That's the reason why in verse 7, he said, but what things were gained to me. He's talking about all of those accomplishments, that pedigree and that heritage, all of those things that were gained to me. The word gained is actually in the plural there. He's talking about all of them. He said, I counted as loss for Christ. Look, it's a plural gain, but a singular loss. He said, all of those things, I just count up as one loss. They're not several losses. They're not a bunch of losses. They are just one loss how can you say that Paul because what I gained through my loss I gained in Christ Jesus somebody hear me today you didn't lose anything when you came to know the Lord oh I lost a reputation I lost a good standing here and there in the world in the community you did not lose anything none of that had any saving value in your life the only thing that has saving value is Christ Jesus Paul says I count all those gains as loss because I gained Christ Amen. So you got to know loss to no gain. And no loss, no gain. In the parable, Matthew 13, we see this played out, New Testament. In the parable, there is a field that has a treasure in it. The man comes upon this treasure within the field. The parable tells us 
that the man does what? He goes and he sells all that he has. If I say it like this, he forfeited all his gains because of the treasure. He found in the he forfeited all that in order to secure the field. Woo! Where the treasure was. Because evidently, Brother Fred, he accounted the value of the treasure that was in the field more than all the personal items that he had in his own life. There's another parable right after that one, I believe. Still yet in the same chapter, Matthew 13, there's another individual. And the Bible says this individual comes across a pearl. It's called in Scripture the pearl of great price. Guess what this individual does? Many times the pearl of great price is symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the parable. The Bible says that this person, guess what they do? They go out. They take everything that they have and they sell it all for the purpose of purchasing of getting a hold of of the pearl of great price someone say amen someone say all that man didn't go out and say I'll get rid of 50% of what I got and use that 50% to buy the field with the treasure that's not what he said he said I'm going to get rid of it all because it's worth it all I'm going to lay it all aside because it's worth it Does anybody believe that what you found in the Lord is worth more than what you have in this world? Does anybody believe what you found in Christ is better than the material goods you have, than the reputation that you have, than the stature you... Hallelujah. No loss, no gain. No loss, no gain. See, for Paul... What others were holding in high regard, he was forsaking for Christ. He says, I count it all as dung. Now, that's quite, that's quite in your face. That's quite forward, even for the Bible. I count it all dung. I count it all the production of the flesh. I count it all dung. Because Christ is more important than any pedigree, supposed accomplishment. Look at Paul even right now. He's incarcerated for the gospel. And his freedom right now is less important than Christ. Deny him, Paul, and you can get out. Okay, see you later. I don't know him. Let's go. His freedom right now is less important than Christ. Once Paul... Knew the Lord. And you look at this a little further down from verse 10, verses 8, 9, and 10. Once Paul knew the Lord in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Please hear me clearly. Once he knew him in that fashion, the things that had been important to Paul were no longer important to Paul. Let me state it like this. And this is probably more of an ought to statement than it is it happens in every instant statement. And that is our value system ought to change the more we get to know the Lord. Our value system ought to change the more we get to know the Lord. 
because we start to adopt his values and the things that used to be important are not as important as they formerly had been. Look at Paul's desires in verse number eight. He says, I want to win Christ. The word is gain in actuality, gain Christ. In verse nine, he says, I want to be found in Christ. In verse number 10, he says, and that I may know Christ. I want to win him, be found in him. I want to know him. See, winning or gaining Christ, of course, is first achieved by, as Paul did, counting our earthly gains as a loss for spiritual advancement. And again, note that he said, I count these things as loss. It's not as though they didn't have any value in certain spheres of the world. But he says, whatever they do have, I count and consider. I count and consider as they're going to be a loss. I'm going to lose them for the purpose of Christ. I'm not going to emphasize them. I'm going to be captivated by the work and the wonder of Christ because I cannot, he says in verse number four, we cannot trust in the flesh. Paul desired also to be found in Christ. Paul said blatantly, he said, my righteousness is nothing. The quote-unquote righteousness I have is by the law. You keep a law, good boy, good boy, Paul. He says, but God's righteousness is everything because his righteousness is by faith. And so Paul wanted his own identity and his own righteousness, so to speak, to be associated with Christ, swallowed up in the identity and the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse number nine. This is how it's stated in the King James. Paul says, not having mine own righteousness. The idea is this, not having the righteousness which can be called my own. He says, I don't have any righteousness that I can say is truly mine. Because our righteousness, as Isaiah said, is as filthy rags. Because the New Testament writer said, there's none righteous, no, not. One. So when Paul says not having my own righteousness, he said, I don't have any righteousness which I can call my own. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. He says, for he hath made him, he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of of God in him. So there was a divine exchange. Because guess what? From birth, I got sin. It's like easy. It's easy to sin. Well, everybody's holy angels around here, I guess, but I'll tell you. It's easy to sin. But Paul says... What God had that I didn't have was righteousness. I had sin, but he had righteousness. But what God did was this. He sent Christ to become the sin that's easy for me so that I could have the righteousness that I couldn't get on my own. There was a divine exchange. He took my sin and I got his righteousness. Amen. And he says, as a result of that, the righteousness then of the law is fulfilled in me. Because this old sinfulness of my flesh, it could never do it. 
It was condemned. The sinfulness of my flesh, all of humanity's flesh, was condemned on the cross of Calvary. Amen. From in him who was hung up on that tree. And so Paul didn't just want to win or gain Christ, not just to be in Christ. He wanted to know. Someone say no. He wanted to know Christ. In the interesting combination, he said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Interesting combination. And the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. To know. The word to know there is not talking about obtaining knowledge about Christ. But to know is to know by experience. Paul says, I want to know him. Not just learn about him. I want to experience him. I want to experience him. And I point out very quickly in these verses, you have the plan of salvation again through the Apostle Paul in these verses. I want to experience him. How? In the power of his resurrection, Holy Ghost infilling, and being in the fellowship of his sufferings, which is repentance, the dying, and being conformable which means this, to receive the same form as unto his death. I call that baptism. Why? Because you buried that which died. So the apostle Paul is saying, I want to experience him in repentance. I want to experience him in baptism. And I want to experience him in the power of his resurrection, in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Paul says, I want to experience him in the sufferings of, of, of his death. Not just what took place on the cross, but even the sufferings that, that, that precursed the, the, all the happenings of Calvary. Why? With the hopes of a resurrection. And we're listening. Paul's not necessarily, he's not necessarily pointing to the resurrection of his body. Amen. That someday will come. He talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15, that quite linked the resurrection of the literal body. But, but what's used here in Philippians, amen, is a different word. As a matter of fact, for resurrection, it's the only way that it's found here in the Greek, like it is right here in Philippians. It's literally out resurrection. In other words, Paul wanted a resurrection out from a state of death that he had been in because the Bible says we all are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. That's what the scripture says in the New Testament. You are dead in your flesh. You are dead in your sins, in your trespasses. Paul says, I want to get out of that death and I want a resurrection to happen to me right now while I'm still living in this mortal body. You know what Paul's saying? I want to feel the power of that raised Christ up from the dead while I'm still living. Oh, yes. I wish somebody today would want to know the Lord in the power of his resurrection this morning. I'm not talking about when you die and then the rapture finally takes place and you break forth from the ground. I'm talking about a resurrection that calls you out today out of your sin, out of your transgression, out of your sins, being dead in your sins and transgressions and resurrect in a new life, new creature in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I want to feel that power. If you'll stand with me. And so he shares this with the church of Philippi for them and for everybody else that would ever read the passages. That set that. You want to make a goal? Let that be your goal. Gain the Lord, be in Christ, know him, experience him. In those areas 
of your life. And let all those things that you put stock in that have good reputation on the earth, they're fleeting things, they're temporal things. They will fade away and they will die with you when you die. And your even remembrance as generations go on, people's not going to know who you are, what you did, and not near the same type of admiration as the generation that you lived in. Hmm? We, we celebrate holidays, President's Day, and other things that come along the path. And we can celebrate to us, but I guarantee you, we don't have the same admiration as those of the hour in which it was created. Because people, over time, and what they've done becomes forgotten. Paul says all these things are fleeting. He said, but there's one thing eternal, and that's the Lord. He said, take all of those gains, set them over here in a, in a pile, and they have their own, their own success, if you will, in the time that you're alive. He said, but none of them have saving value. He said, no loss, no gains, no loss, no gains. Hallelujah. If we bow our heads all across here this morning. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Spirit of the Lord. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today that you would even come a second time. God, speaking to us, Lord, concerning things that we have heard before. God, repeat it, Lord, in our lives. Repeat it, oh, God, in our spirits. Help us to understand, Lord, the emphasis and the essentiality, God, of these things. I pray, oh, God, today, help us, Lord, God, to emphasize where you emphasize, to underscore and embolden, God, where you underscore and embolden. Help us, God, not to cleave the fleeting things, cleave the things that have, Lord, no saving value. I pray, oh, Lord, these altars are open this morning. If anybody needs to find a place to pray and begin to count some gains as loss, amen, for the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be someone here today, you say, Brother McGee, only thing I know is, is my flesh and to be have confidence and, and, and self-esteem of my flesh. Listen, sir, there is a higher, there is a higher way, a higher level of living than just having confidence in who you are, what you can do and accomplish in your flesh. There is a confidence that you can place in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a faith, there is a trust that you can put in the Lord Jesus Christ that surpasses any earthly confidence that we can have in any earthly thing, material good, ourself. Amen. It matters not. Amen. In the realm of eternity those things matter not I'm challenging somebody today will you go and I'm saying this in a figurative sense but will you go sell all that you have for the purpose of getting the field that has the treasure in it will you go and sell all that you have for the purpose of securing the pearl of great price will you go and just separate yourself from being so tethered to that that that's where you derive your identity and your association. And will you be identified in Christ? And as a result of that, you inherit a righteousness that you could not secure on your own. That you inherit a righteousness, amen, that you could not produce, could not work or earn on your own. But your obedience to the Lord causes there to be a stream, a conduit to be connected that flows not only to you, but through you by the power of God's Spirit today. No, no loss, no gain, no loss, no gain. This altar is open today. If there was somebody that would be pricked in their spirit. 
Brother McGee, I've, I've placed a lot of trust in who I am. I've placed a lot of trust in my job. I've placed a lot of trust in my family dynamic. I've placed a lot of trust in my standing in society. People know me and, and that has no saving value. Has no saving value. Mm-hmm. Brother Mason, if we can just sing somewhere here, a little something here in the closing of our service today. Hallelujah. Be mindful of the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.